0: Around Christmas time, 2016, Brandon Stahl, a reporter at the Star Tribune, covered a story about a stranger rape in Minneapolis. After it ran, he got a call from an activist and rape victim asking him to share her story too. It got him wondering, how many sexual violence stories are not being told? Finding the answer to that question gave birth to the series Denied Justice. Nine installments and dozens of follow-up stories later, Brandon and a team of journalists at the Star Tribune has asked and answered many questions about rape and sexual assault and how it's investigated and prosecuted in Minnesota. The findings are troubling, and I urge you to read the series and watch the victim videos on StarTribune.com and listen to the previous podcasts. The purpose of this final podcast is to hear how two years of research, diligent digging, hundreds of rape stories, and challenging the status quo has changed the reporters and editors who have done the work. We begin with Brandon Stahl.
1: As a society, we hold rapists as the lowest of the low, right? We, we hold community meetings when there's going to be a high-risk sex offender who's going to live in the neighborhood. I thought that police take these cases incredibly seriously, that they did everything they could to investigate them and you know, put the perpetrator behind bars, and I was wrong. I think when I started I actually had some rape myths that I carried some things about rape that I didn't understand you know I did had no idea about the psychological trauma that a, a victim of any rape goes through you know I thought that a stranger rape was psychologically more damaging than an acquaintance rape that's not true they're equally damaging but for sometimes different reasons sometimes for the same reason and I kind of put those lower on a pedestal in my mind and that was wrong. If my daughter goes, to, I'm going to tell her, look, you know, if you do not want to have any type of relationship with somebody, say no. It is your body. It's yours to do what you choose, you know, what, what you want to do. But if something still happens, then I don't want her to feel blamed like it's her fault because that's what rape survivors do. They blame themselves. I don't know what the right answer is on that as a parent. I, I, I struggle with that. I learned that it takes a lot of courage to tell your story. It takes a lot of determination, and it takes a lot of gr- bravery to stand up and say, what happened to me, both from the perpetrator and the police, or the prosecutor or a judge, was wrong. That's a big step for anybody to take, to go on record, to put your face out there, to put your name out there, Their stories are going to be out on the Internet now from here until whenever there's not an Internet. And they all know that this is a pervasive problem that's not going away. And just because we're not going to be covering this issue like we were last year doesn't mean it's going to stop. We do need people to acknowledge that, to acknowledge that there has been a problem with how these cases were handled and dealt with and to work to improve.
0: Jennifer Bjorhus joined Brandon in his research and reporting for Denied Justice a few months in when the Star Tribune realized how Minnesota investigates and prosecutes rape is systemically inadequate.
2: To be honest with you, I was... I was also really surprised that as far as we've come with gender equality and, you know, women's rights in this country, I, I was disheartened, dismayed to realize that it was obvious from reading the police reports that, that it was like the victims were not being taken seriously. I was really saddened um, that as far as we've come, we obviously haven't come as far as we'd like. I realized that I had some of these, I carried some of these like, you know, biases or or prejudices or cultural myths with me. Um, You know, I I, I found in the very beginning, I was kind of like, I I was upset that, that these women were in these vulnerable positions. You know, I felt like, it's hard for me as a woman to see another woman in that position, and I felt like I resisted it. but I fought it, and I caught myself kind of asking the beginning, kind of asking some of the same kind of victim-blaming questions, which is like, well, oh gee, why did you, you know, why were you, you know, why did you go to that bar, you know, or, or why did you go, you know, why did you go home with him? realized I was falling into exactly the same trap uh, that so many people do which is look the issue is not what what did the woman do the issue is what we trying to focus to the suspect why was he you know why was he raping her let's look at that you know why was he not listening to nose? why was there a conflict here why why did he not back away Why you know why was he preying on somebody who was incapacitated Turning attention off of this woman and over, you know, over to the man. Um, I found myself challenged in looking at these cases, and I, um, I changed throughout the course of the reporting, mm-hmm. and it made me realize how vulnerable we really all are, and it's difficult to face that. You don't want to think that way, right. you know. I think we put blinders up. Oh, you know, if I just live my life, you know, I'm. And don't, I don't know, you know, don't take any risks. You know, uh, I, this will, these sorts of things will never happen to me. And I'm sure that's what all those women were digging too, <laughs> mm-hmm. before these things happened. So it's an uncomfortable realization. And I really do hope more victims consider reporting to
0: law enforcement. Data journalist Mary Jo Webster was added to the Denied Justice team when they realized there were no statistics or adequate data analyzing rape investigation and outcomes. For this
3: we had to build our own database because one doesn't exist. So my role was to figure out how we could do that in the most efficient manner possible and set up tools for the reporters And then once the data started flowing in to do all the analysis of that and figure out what can we say from this or what can't we say and what will help help us tell these stories. Uh, Frankly, I'm completely amazed um, by the reaction. This is the biggest reaction to a a work that I've done that I've ever seen in my 20-plus years in journalism. It's been really heartwarming to hear from victims talking about how even just knowing that they are not the only ones that other victims had similarly bad experiences with police and prosecutors and that has helped them uh, that alone is just amazing one of the big things i realized with this project is that there's a lot of things happening in in our government and with our the people in power that are not tracked in a systematic way, or structured way, and as a, as a result, we as citizens have a much harder time seeing if that system is working properly or not. For this, for Denied Justice, we had to build our own database to figure this out. Nobody had done that before. And, and look at the, the reaction we've gotten from it, and now it makes me wonder how many other things are out there that we need to measure that aren't being measured.
0: Renee Jones-Schneider is a photographer and video journalist who joined Denied Justice to chronicle the stories of the brave victims who talked to Brandon and Jennifer on the record. She knew getting them on camera wouldn't be an easy task.
4: My thoughts were, how am I going to photograph a bunch of anonymous people? Because I thought nobody's going to tell us their story. <laughs> but, I mean, now we... We're almost a year later, and like like you just said, I, 35 women have told me their story in great detail. I am so honored that they trusted me. They, I mean, all these women, I either went to, to where they live or they came into the Star Tribune, and we spent probably an hour to two hours where they told us in detail the worst day of their life, basically. And they trusted us to... Added, I mean, they trusted me to edit it down to a 10-minute summary of their story. And I do think that that is extraordinary. Um, so I'm so grateful for that, that that uh, I was able to have the trust of these people. But also, I think I've learned just the crippling um, emotional effects sexual violence has on women. And I don't think I ever appreciated that before. Um, I started listening to these stories regularly. It, it's almost as damaging as like a, a death. And so having learned a lot about trauma and everything, I, I think that's changed me too. Because it, it helps me understand the actions that we've all thought were kind of confusing sometimes in these situations, the way some people react when they're in, in trauma situations like this. Well, I have to say, when I first started reading some of these police reports, it seemed um, before I met any of these people and heard them tell their stories face-to-face, mm-hmm. it seemed to me like, oh, yeah, why, I mean, I can see why they didn't uh, prosecute this case or something. But I found it ex- a complete difference in actually hearing someone tell their story from their perspective. It was like a drastic difference. And so I take away from that is that we really need to share our stories with each other because sometimes just seeing it in a bullet proof of fact doesn't actually have the same weight and understanding as actually listening to someone tell their version, their story. I also tried to keep in contact with them and keep them in the loop as much as I could, as much as I had control over, um, because I felt like that was something that they lacked in their stories. They lack communication with their investigators or the prosecutors or um, other people involved in their story. Um, so I kind of went out of my way more than I typically do when I work on a story to do that. I think, you know, obviously it's a clearly a conversation you have to have with your daughters. But for a real change to happen, I mean, it comes down to this changing preventing rape, preventing rapists, right? And understanding consent in all situations. I mean, I don't know, my son's only 10, but I already planned to have this conversation with him when he's in his teens and maybe make him watch some of these videos. I just think as a community, we could all do better to treat victims of sexual violence and rape with more compassion and understanding. And that would be a great first step.
0: Jenny Pinkley is a senior video producer and editor who helped Renee craft how the videos enhanced the series.
5: You can't walk away from a project like this and not feel an impact. Um, being in the lives of people who have had profound change, whether they asked for it or not, and I'm so proud of the reporting team and all of my colleagues who got in there and worked on this and put these stories out there and. One of the things that, uh, a positive surprise, is how many of the the women uh, wanted to talk to us. Um, You know, cameras can be very intimidating for people. Mics can be very intimidating. And these women, women not only poured out their stories for print, but they also got in front of a camera and shared their stories with us. And it turned what could be a challenge in a typical situation into a really nice surprise because... They were so courageous in coming forward and sharing their stories with us and felt comfortable and felt safe with us doing so. And the power in the number of voices that we were able to have for video was just amazing. We're already seeing positive change at the legislative level. We just did a story yesterday on that, and so I'm equally honored that people look at the series, realize that there's a pervasive problem, and legislators and politicians, everybody is jumping jumping up and saying, we got to do something about this. And they're starting to take action. And um, it makes me proud to be a journalist and work alongside the people that I do every day.
0: Abby Simons is Brandon's editor and team leader for public safety at the Star Tribune.
6: I was completely in the dark, as was the rest of Minnesota as to how these women were being failed by the system. And Brandon and Jennifer and Mary Jo shined a light on how these women were being failed. And now we all know and change is a result of that. And I find that really heartening. As we speak on the phone, Brandon is in a uh, committee hearing over at the legislature where the attorney general's task force is presenting their findings. And, you know, over and over and over, it's not a question of, well, is this correct? What the Star Tribune found—they're saying this is what the Star Tribune found, and we need to make a change. So, to put it more succinctly, I was moved and floored um, by how quickly action was taken from day one and from story one, and that seemed to only snowball as the subsequent eight stories came
0: out. Dave Hagee, an editor and team leader for social issues at the paper, was also impressed with the social impact and response to the reporting.
7: And from day one on this project, Denied Justice, from day one, the response was immediate and dramatic. Um, and we were a little surprised and very gratified by that. But immediately... Governor Dayton took steps. Immediately, the Attorney General, Lori Swanson, appointed a task force to look into this. Immediately, Mayor Fry in Minneapolis, Mayor Carter in St. Paul said, we're going to do something about this. So that was, you know, just terrific. Just today, the Minneapolis Police Department announced major changes in the way that they're going to conduct rape investigations in the future. So to live in a state where You know, public officials are accountable and responsive, where they understand that the public wants the government to work well on their behalf. The public wants the justice system to work well on the public's behalf. It's really gratifying. People are giving this entire issue a second look, how, you know, social attitudes toward women, social attitudes toward sexual behavior between men and women, So, yeah, I hope there's a great, big, vigorous conversation going on as a result.
0: Along with the rest of the Denied Justice team, senior managing editor and vice president of the Star Tribune, Suki Dardarian, was initially shocked by the findings at how poorly Minnesota was doing on behalf of victims of sexual violence. She explains the difficulty and nuance it took to cover and manage this delicate topic. You know, I have been in the business for a number of years, and
8: as journalists, one of our jobs is to shine a light on our systems and our institutions and try and identify uh, ways that they can be approved, failings of them. And so I- I'm not unfamiliar with systems that are not working, um, nothing's perfect. And so, you know, we, we sensed something was there, but really it was the data, the data that came back. I mean, we've all read stories about rape cases that were poorly handled. There have been a number of very powerful stories, but as we looked at the data and methodically went through and listed, did they interview the witness? Did they talk to the suspect? Um, and then we looked at the cases and say, how many were referred on to prosecutors? We, you know, the, the data was stark, and that was, that was what initially astounded us. I think I am most pleased with the fact that while this was a nine-part series, I felt from the beginning, that it was also a community conversation. And that may sound hokey, but, you know, normally when we do an investigation or a big uh, explanatory project, we do all of our research and then we sit down and we organize it and decide how are we going to do this and then we roll it out over a period of a few days and, and then we sit back and wait to hear what people think. This was completely different. We engaged um, the law enforcement and other officials in the system with our uh, data and our our, um, findings. We were talking to women along the way. We were talking to experts around the country. They were talking to each other. So our first installment, our first two installments were pretty close together together. But that's where we sort of invited everybody else to join the conversation. It didn't just make our stories better as we continued to identify what we wanted to cover and what angles we should take, it actually gave power (laughs) and um, engagement to not just the, the victims in the stories but also the people in the system. You know, people would challenge, gosh, you're you're being too simplistic about your perspective of how police um, handle these cases. Well okay, let's let's involve you. Let's 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 involve you in a story. We have we don't get enough training. We don't have enough resources. Okay, well let's do a story about that. We interviewed police who talked to us about the challenges of doing their job, you know, so so I feel like the story was a little bit more evolutionary, and that gave everyone involved and who cared about this a chance to kind of be involved in the story, and frankly, to also be involved in helping figure out what the solutions are. When police chief told us she was going to make denied justice required reading for all of her officers, and we've been contacted by a few people who want to use our videos as a way to help train those who investigate rape to be more sensitive and aware of how their behavior can affect a victim, to help increase their sensitivity and their success at investigating these cases. I was so struck by the personal and professional commitment that all of our staff devoted to this. The reporters worked on these stories 24-7. Our photographer was on the phone uh, with victims night and day, traveling the state, and we poured over the data, you know, with a fine-tooth comb, and we, the editors were so committed to making sure the story was, was fair and accurate. And then, you know, the people who designed it for our print and digital audiences were just as invested, were just as involved in those stories, um, and they, they all really personally committed to doing the best they could to this story, and you know, I will tell you, we do that every day. But this story was was bigger than all of us, and it and it was as we talked about earlier. We did it over quite a span of time, and so you know, that's that's a commitment. They were there every minute of every day, uh, fighting to make this story the best they could, and that was. That was pretty humbling.
0: Yes, the people who have created and produced denied justice are profoundly changed by its findings. But what about the law? Brandon and Jennifer explain how their reporting is affecting the people of Minnesota.
1: I guess the biggest thing really is the, the post board, the police licensing board, the governor. After our first story ran, ordered them to come up with a what's called a model policy, um, which basically they're going to send out to all of the law enforcement agencies across the state that says when you get a rape report, here is what you should do. You need to take these steps to respond to and investigate the report. And some departments are, you know, they're doing their own reforms. They are reviewing their own cases. Minneapolis police has hired an advocate to work with the department, with, with the um, officers and investigators to better work with survivors who are reporting to them. Hopefully that is a huge effect because a, an advocate is somebody far different than law enforcement. An advocate is going to be promoting for the well-being and the rights of the survivor. The legislature, several legislators have said that they will try to propose laws. Senator Limmer has proposed a bill and I I have not spoken with him, I've only read the text. He wants the Sentencing Commission to require judges that when they have lower sentences than expected or what our guidelines ask for on these rape cases, they must make a clear record as to why they are doing that.
2: I've been really impressed by the extent to which both the Peace officer Standards and Training Boards that licenses all the Peace Officers in the state, and Lori Swanson's Task Force, the work that they have done has been amazing. You know, they really, truly are talking about, you know, changing statutes and changing some fundamental police practices. And it is really gratifying to see that. Now, I know this is just a first step. This is a huge cultural issue, and it's not going to change fast, and it's not going to change um, just because of uh, you know um, what the lawmakers do and what the post board does, because it really is a broader societal issue with how we view women and, and how we view rape and all of the cultural myths around that crime, and that takes a very very long
0: time to change. I too have been profoundly changed by the findings of Denied Justice. The series has caused me to confront my own rape myths and challenged my confidence in law enforcement. The conversations I have been having with my own son, daughters, and their friends have been deeply enriched and educated by the results of the Star Tribune reporting. I am grateful to have been able to share their findings, voices, and impact with anyone willing to listen. Thank you for listening. The Denied Justice team has created a shift in our culture. Change is happening, and that is good. The Inside the News Investigating Rape podcast is created by me, Jordana Green, Jared Goyette, and Dan Colhane with WCCO Radio. With reporting and audio credits from The Star Tribune's Brandon Stahl, Jennifer Bjorhus, Mary Jo Webster, and Renee Jones-Schneider. Star Tribune editing credits are Abby Simons, Dave Hagee, Eric Wiffering, and Suki Dardarian.